They shoot the shit. They shoot, they shoot the shit. Shoot, 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 shit, shit, shit. Shooting the shit with Chippa. You are a popular man, my friend. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another fun-filled episode of Shooting the Shit with Chippa with my continuing coverage of Salem <laughs> Horror Fest 2020. Before I get into my very special guests today, I'd like to thank my ever-growing number of $15 or more a month patrons. They are Mason, Christopher Finnick, Patricia Chipman, Hugh K. Campbell Jr., Alex Peregrine, Kevin C.V., Mike the Gatherer, Tyler Freshcorn, Mark Price, Collaborating Online, Alex Shaw, Seth Comfort, Seth Decker, Andrew Krause, Little Nicky, Robert V. Aldrich, Aaron Moriarty, Carolyn Thompson, Scott Arcuri, and Sure Hanson Gusted. And just so you know, when I started reading those $15 or more a month patron names, I thought there would never be that many. So mm -hmm. I appreciate all of you for the support. Um, this is a second income for me and my family, and particularly with things we've been going through recently, it is more than necessary and very thankful. You know, it's very necessary that we get those patron numbers. I really appreciate it. Um, it's a secondary income for me and my family. Being a single income household is hard. Adding diseases and healthcare issues and financial burdens into it, and it just gets crazier. So I really appreciate it. And to my newest patrons, Ralph Lund, Luke Donnelly, Tom Painter, Cassandra Raguchi, Carolyn Thompson, Brian Beshia, Patrick R. Young, Scott Arcuri, and Chris Charles. Thank you all. I, I saw Patrick give his thumbs up there. So Patrick is one of my newest patrons because nepotism is real. Thank you very much. I was wondering how we got on the show. Yes. Um, and this show, like a lot of my shows recently, are brought to you by Skeeter Plays. My very, very good friend, Steve Brennan, runs a Let's Play channel on YouTube. You should check him out. It's awesome. So with that, I have a huge group of folks with me today. Um, I have, I, I'm assuming this is the entire cast and crew of, of the film Threshold, <laughs> which played at Salem Horror Fest 2020. Would that be correct? The only person who was on, on the road that we filmed this was our producer, Lauren Bates. Okay, so no, no Lauren, but she's here in spirit because everybody else is here. We've got Patrick Robert Young, writer and director, Powell Robinson, cinematographer and director, and Madison West, who is the co-star of the film, and Joey Millen, who is the other co-star of the film. <laughs> they played Virginia and Leo. So guys, um, I'll let you one by one give a quick introduction um, to yourselves, um, and then we'll talk about your film. I really appreciate it. So I guess start Patrick, since he's the one I set up with to get this. Uh, yeah, I uh, appreciate that I bought my way into this interview. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, my name is Patrick Young. I'm a writer and director. I've co-directed and wrote a film with Pal called Bastard before this. Uh, also wrote a couple of Lifetime thrillers that are on Netflix. My Teacher, My Obsession, and Pretty Little Stalker. They're and awesome. And then also some juicy stuff. Hat. Oh, yeah. Okay, they're saucy. <laughs> and then earlier this year, uh, released another movie I wrote called Greenlight. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for having us. Uh, hey, I, I'm Powell. I'm a director and cinematographer. Done, uh, done another movie. That, that, actually, I'm going to say that again because I can't speak. <laughs> uh, uh, I, uh, I've directed another movie with Patrick in the past. And then um, on the side, I direct and shoot commercials. I've shot more music videos than I'd like to uh, <laughs> ever admit and uh, I actually shot Greenlight the other movie that Patrick wrote a friend of ours directed so 
Awesome. Well, welcome again. Thank you so much. And Madison? Hi, Madison West. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, I've been acting <laughs> since I was 16. Uh, done several movies and television shows in the past. And uh, my, I have an upcoming theme feature, Mank, directed by uh, David Fincher, coming up, I think, uh, December 4th is the release date. Wow, awesome. That, that's great. I've been hearing tons of stuff about that, particularly the score. You know, those the Fincher team-ups with, um, what's it, uh, Trent Reznor and yes. the, uh, the other guy whose name I always forget, and he's awesome. Atticus Ross. Atticus Ross, there we go. Oh, what a good uh, name. That's a yeah, beautiful right? name. God. <laughs> they, are, they, they are going... F- for you know, for the gold with all of these damn movies, they're oh yeah, fantastic. <laughs> Fun fact about Atticus Ross: uh, our composer on Threshold is actually a co-composer with Atticus and has been working with them since college. So, so yeah. here, you you, yeah. you joke you joked before we started recording. Biggest group of people for the smallest movie, and yet here we are talking about a you know, <laughs> goddamn multi-million-dollar big Hollywood production that some <laughs> were involved in. So that, that's awesome. Uh, you know, the, you get them before their union. That's yeah. <laughs> that, that was on a couple of billboards while we were filming, right? Yeah. That's going to become the new tagline for my show. <laughs> anyway, and, and jo- Joey, last last but not least. Hey, yes, uh, I am Joey Mellon, uh, and I also do the acting in the Los Angeles. Uh, I've uh, done a variety of projects. I also do uh, a little bit of uh, Dungeons & Dragons podcasting, if you're into that sort of thing, on uh, with a very good people on uh, Plunders & Blunders. You can find them on Twitter. <laughs> and uh, I do theater in Los Angeles when it's not uh, completely extinct during the COVID times. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. So, so for those of you, I mean, obviously this will be coming out close to me recording it, but yes, we are still in the middle of the absolute hell that is a pandemic. So, <laughs> support support these people in any way you can. Find their movie, watch it. Again, it's called Threshold, and um, you know, because I've had you know actors and directors on separate, I'll uh, just you know try to figure out the best way to to establish this. But I guess the first question, um, you know, for the group of you is, did you know each other? all all of you before making this movie in one way or another patrick and i were dorm neighbors in college like we've known each other for a long time now me too and, actually, I was, and then maddie I was, was done i was getting there i <laughs> lived one door next to you i literally i mean patrick and i pretty much lived in the same room and then maddie was down the hall from us so we've all been like we've been connected for a long time and then Joey, I'll let you I was about four or five buildings over at the same college <laughs> at about the same time, but no, I, I, w- I was not within as close of square footage as these people are. <laughs> I, I could scarcely, I could right. scarcely think of a sentence that doesn't start with Patrick and then com- immediately preceded by Powell. Powell. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that that's awesome because you know you you find sometimes you know you get a you get a cast and a crew that seem like especially with something that you know looks like friends working together like all of these movies in this in this horror fest you know because i've made a couple of smaller movies you can feel that not that they're cheaply made but you can feel the set you can feel Mm. you know i know what this looks like behind the camera i know all these guys are getting along you're not necessarily right but you can feel it and you know it's funny how many times you actually go oh no we put out a full casting call never met before and it's like wow really like but for for a movie like this i think it's it's really important so um then you know i i guess the next question would be what brings the group of you 
to Threshold. You talked about a couple of other movies you made, but like, what was the background that ended up in this movie? Whether it's how the, the script came about, how the idea came about. Was it like a group effort? Because, I mean, the movie's mostly improv for people that aren't listening, uh, that didn't know that. And that is not something to be walked into lightly when you're trying to make a narrative, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of the impetus of wanting to get this done was strictly frustration and impatience. Uh, since uh, Pal and I's first film, Bastard, we've had a lot of start and stops uh, in and out of the system in terms of getting other projects done. Uh, we've worked on other projects that didn't like together that we weren't in charge of, that we weren't exactly happy how they happened. Um, and so we really wanted something that we had total control over. And I, I think I just messaged Pal one day on Facebook, like, what if we made a movie on iPhones? And then he called me crazy. And then he, he called me crazy. And then a month later, he he messaged me back like, "But maybe." <laughs> and Love so from it. there, it was kind of just a process of finding, okay, what what story ideas do we have? What do we have um, in our back pocket? And uh, I initially went back towards uh, a short story I wrote in high school, uh, actually about a a lesbian couple. Uh, who took uh, a wrong type of drug uh, that connected them to a random stranger at a club and they had to help each other track this guy down. Um, and we, we took the bone structures of that together and sort of made it more personal in terms of adding a brother and sister relationship, making it more timely in terms of drug addiction, and then making it more us in terms of adding the horror elements of a curse. I, I, I love that element, you know, um, it, it made me think, and again, it's not, it, I'll, I'll use this from a thematic and a story tie-in, but not at all the type of movie you were going for, because this is not a, this isn't a splatterfest horror movie. This is a thinky horror movie. This is about relationships. <laughs> that's that's the exact subgenre, yeah. thinky piece. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's about, um, you know, uh, the relationships of the characters and how real that feels, firstly. And secondarily, there's a horror element that the movie keeps you guessing on if it's really there or not. And I... I loved how they did that in the Evil Dead remake. That the the idea of uh, you know your kids going through withdrawal, your buddies going through withdrawal, so literally half the shit they think is going on could just not be happening. Mm -hmm. And 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 I really like you know. And again, I'll say spoiler alert because if you guys are okay with it, I I already talked about a lot of the movie in the review. Do it, are man. you guys okay with talking yeah. about? Okay, yeah, I just want to yeah, make sure just expand the spoiler alert for about three or four seconds so people have the yes. option, and then we can. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'm going to say so. So when the movie gets to it, you know, okay, we've now resolved the relationship issue with the brother and the sister. I kind of went, huh, you know what? If they just end it right here, I'd be completely fine. Like I am satisfied right now. And then the movie has to. Oh yeah, by the way, she was one hundred percent telling the truth. <laughs> this is awesome, um, and, and I, I, I love that. That it's a perfect stinger reveal. I love um, it. It, uh, it, it echoed, and I don't know if you were going for this, but complete with the guy running up on top of the car. It reminded me of when Michael Myers breaks out in Halloween. Yeah, Patrick, who was that guy that ran on top of the car there? Uh, that I, was me. That was me. <laughs> that, was our, that was our director cameo. That was shirtless the, uh, and shoeless and running around in 40 degree weather. It was great. There's several <laughs> director was, cameos. Yeah. I was going to say, wasn't the clown mask guy one of you guys? 
No. Or am I? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I am glad you had that reaction though to the to the ending because like that that was something that we talked about from the beginning. It was like we want the movie for everyone to feel like it finishes before we actually do the big reveal because like that was the point all along was really the relationship and it kind of ties into what you were saying as far as how the movie came about and the collaboration side of it. Um, after Patrick had the bones down, we all sat down together and the the whole cr- well. I say the whole crew, and it's like six of us. But like, <laughs> yeah, sat down at a cafe, and basically from that uh, from the skeleton that he had, we built ten to fifteen years of backstory with the actors, and like, it's pretty much what's referenced in every scene, every time they talk. Is <laughs> like something. Yeah, yeah we like, had these major life events, you know, spanning back to okay, what exactly is it that went on with our father? When was that? What was the big blow up fight that we went over? Uh, were you aware that I was dating uh, a Zamboni girl at the time or like how much, when did we lose touch? (laughs) And we were able to reference that on the fly and always have a shared world Bible that we could just go, oh, we're at this point, we should bring up this piece. Uh, And it made the improvisation so much easier because we weren't weren't flying without a, a map. Yeah, we that really wasn't the hardest part of the movie, the improv, because it was just so structured and we had such a world that we were so comfortable with it was just you know like talking to your brother it's not like we had to come up with stuff on the fly what was the hardest part maddie <laughs> everything else everything that's that's a really good point because i was going to say you know you this movie sinks or swims on whether or not you believe the two of them because because the whole movie is is joey and madison the whole thing mm-hmm. and if if you do not believe that he you know that that phone conversation explaining okay i just gotta go deal with her again and then getting there in kind of the cold way that he is at first and the way he <laughs> warms up and the way yeah. we reveal so much about the characters if you don't believe any of that th- the movie fails and the fact that from scene one that works so well is is not a mistake you know what i mean but some things like you talk about a production of a show like stranger things where people go oh the best part of the show is that the kids seem lived in they seem like they've been mm-hmm. friends forever they made them like hang out for three months yeah you know <laughs> that happened but like i you know th- that brings me to the next question stuff like script to screen like what's the production schedule of this movie like how long did it take <laughs> about you know what i mean uh, I'd say I had a 20-page outline uh, around the exact time that we cast, which was about a month and a half before production. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and that, that outline pretty much never changed. Um, it was, ex- you know, we actually trimmed stuff out of that 20-page outline. Yeah. Um, and that 20-page outline also only covered the first two acts. Uh, the third act uh, in the outline just says, day nine, they arrive. <laughs> and that was when we get to the cabin. So, uh, so the last 10 minutes is is entirely, we decided on it the day before we shot. Yep. Was, yeah. <laughs> you want to know fun stuff. Try being an actor filming a thing chronologically and going, I don't know whether or not I live to the end of this movie. I don't, I went into the scene, I don't know if I've told you guys this, the scene where I'm talking to my wife saying, hey, 
I'm I'm gonna sign the thing. And there's that beautiful scene where I, I Virginia gets to talk to my my daughter for the first time. Uh, I yeah. went there. At, I walked out of that scene going, I just signed my fucking death warrant. Yep. <laughs> I I did the he golden we were gonna curse. He, he definitely thought we were gonna kill him right away. Immediately, <laughs> I'm like, oh, I I finished my character's arc. I died now, right? You <laughs> were. <laughs> As a viewer, that's what I thought was going to happen the whole time. It's, it's, <laughs> as soon as that, so that that comes by clear. Like you literally, whether you guys intended to or not, subverted a genre trope because that's literally <laughs> where Joey dies. Like that should be. <laughs> Talk about you know? schedule. Yeah, th that was. So we we shot it over twelve days uh, on a road trip, but like the the ending was. We, because oh yeah, Joey mentioned we shot it chronologically because the improv, while there was a structure, we knew that they might say something that would throw off the entire rest of the movie, so we could not at all shoot out of order. Um, which <laughs> meant that there was a Hail Mary come to Jesus moment uh, <laughs> on day 11 where we had to sit down, and it's our favorite thing. To, it was a Buffalo Wild Wings. We sat at like a Buffalo Wild Wings at El Centro, and like, <laughs> um, like, so this movie needs to end. Uh, and we had had a plan for the ending that Patrick and I had been sort of talking about. Like, the sky was going to go red, and they're like, it was going to be super satanic, and the ending was going to be fucking crazy. And we were sitting there like, this is going to be so stupid. <laughs> we, <can't> <laughs> <laughs> we built up this ro like this relationship movie. We can't, we can't do that. We can't just blow it on this, like, cheeseball horror ending. So we got to do something a little more tied into them and go wacky with the ending instead. I mean, there was even a moment... Day or two before the end, but we you were did we always have the other guy that we that I that I hit with the car? We had no. a standby. We we ish ish because <laughs> I, mean, I I we ended up calling my friend for that, being like, hey, I, it was a really weird phone call for me. I'm like, hey, there's a part I might need you for in this movie, and um, I can't tell you what it is because I don't know because I don't know what we're doing on the last day. But you want to come and. Do a thing in this movie. I don't know what I can tell you besides that. Such oh, a there's no script. <laughs> oh, just no script, dude. Your buddy, your buddy could have been naked demon guy. <laughs> imagine showing up and finding that out. So, um, oh, how comfortable are you doing this? Yeah, imagine trying to find that guy in four days' notice too. That was one task. Uh, luckily, I, I knew someone who posed for 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 art, like nude art modeling, and he was an actor, and that's who was in the movie. But like, uh. We lucked out on that one because I can't imagine doing a cold casting call and being like, oh hey, God. Matthew, no script, no money. Uh, you're going to come out tomorrow and you're naked in the woods and we have nothing for you to do. Good luck. <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. We did pay him. We did pay him. We did pay him. Yes. That's, I was going to say, that guy better have got paid. Even if none of you got paid, he better have <laughs> got paid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He did. He that's did. your, I mean, that's like, you know, and, and, I, I really like that you said, you know, you, you were swinging for the fences with your original ending idea and then pairing it back because I've always loved the idea and, and Displaced did this very well, too, mm -hmm. of the demonic cult people just hiding in plain sight kind of idea. Like you could literally be driving down the road and that, you know, creepy group of people holding hands on the side of the road could literally have a direct, you know, tie in with the devil and could, and, and could be trying <laughs> to kill you or, or have the ability to tie someone going through DTs into a girl that's, you know, gone through rehab and caused her to go through many, many different odd emotional arcs <laughs> in the movie. Where I'm, I'm sitting there going, wow, they are, they are doubling down on this connection thing. Like, with it, it was very, very, very cool. Um, you know, obviously, uh, 
a 12 day schedule on any movie is insane. Um, my 15 minute long zombie movie, we shot every Wednesday for a whole summer. Um, so there's a close that to sounds about lovely. It was so much fun, <laughs> so much fun. But you know, we got out of work at Blockbuster, we went and got our zombie makeup <laughs> on and, and recorded all day, and then went and hung out at a Denny's for all night and talked. That, that was sounds basically amazing. How, yeah, it's the best time. <laughs> this I wasn't was, that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the opposite of that. But, but I was going to say, you know, you, you have you have a mi- minimal amount of of effects work in the movie, but there's obviously some. The eye dilation with um with uh, Virginia was a really shocking, really well done little thing because it's like that is an attention to detail that you know you don't always get in a lower budget thing. You know what I mean? Because that that kind of shit goes down with with withdrawals or being on drugs or anything else. And so that was a cool, and that shot was gorgeous. I don't know um, how you got that shot, Mr. Cinematographer. I mean, that as a guy that dabbles in that close-ups of eyes is really hard. <laughs> well, I, I can actually tell you, cause it's really funny with the phones, how it works. So we had, I don't have the case anymore, but we had snap on lenses from moment that we were using and there's a macro lens. And we ordered the macro lens literally cause we were like, there's going to be one shot in the movie. We're going to use it for, and we're going to use it for nothing else. And it, of course, that was it. But um, it looked like this. We just put the phone on her eye. Literally, yep. I rested the phone on Maddie's face, and that was all. <laughs> um, if you if you watch the um, so if you go back and, and watch the VFX bit again at some point, um, it's really subtle. No one would ever notice it, probably. But we did talk to the my friend, the VFX artist who did it, about like it's supposed to represent two people. So if you watch it, the eye, the pupil actually spreads almost into into like there's like little lumps. So the, there's like lumps. There are lumps on the pupil of it breaking into multiple pupils. It's really fast, but it is in there, and I'm proud of it. But no one would ever fucking notice it. It's the, the, kind, the kind of detail you can get around to when you have two years of post. This yeah. is the kind, yeah. yeah. This is the kind of stuff I love is stuff because that's that's the kind of thing I would do. Like I, I added music with a buddy to the end of one of my movies, and I'm like, I was really into Robert Rodriguez movies at the time, mm-hmm. and the awesome. movie had nothing to do with that. And I'm just like, I need like a little mariachi guitar, like in the background, <laughs> just this one bit. And my buddy did it, and th- the whole crew looked at me like I was an idiot, and I'm like, but I love it, and I'm leaving it. <laughs> 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 little, little like 21 year old me, just like. <laughs> 18 whatever i was but no um and again i i love that stuff because again that that scene is very visceral like because you don't know what you're getting into with the movie that being the first like action sequence of the movie that that comes off like devastating and then the fact that she's immediately okay like i need to, <laughs> it's just like wait what like what's and, and what's happening here it's it was really 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 well done and i i don't know um you know from an acting standpoint you know uh you guys said the improv wasn't wasn't that hard, which is awesome because that would be really hard for me, even though I think improv's a blast. Um, but what was like some of the hardest acting moments um, in, in the movie? You know, obviously you didn't have time to really redo them a whole bunch because it's 12 days, right? Mm-hmm. But that, that, that's <laughs> what, what were some of the hardest bits to do? You can go first, Joey. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, the, the, the trickiest ones... We're not so much like, oh, how am I going to find, like, the motivation to go into this scene and have have the, the, the emotions come out the right way. It was really, the timing was always against us. Um, top of the mountain was pretty <laughs> tough because the sun was going down. It was golden hour, and the cameras kept 
freezing. Literally, <laughs> there are mechanical parts in iPhones. I, I mean, in older iPhone models. I'm sure they're way better now. iPhone sponsor this uh, <laughs> podcast. Uh, the, but there were mechanical parts in it that would stop working at a certain degree. And um, there are also parts in people that start working at certain <laughs> degrees. And as the sun went down, it, just the temperature was dropping and dropping and dropping. So we're freezing up on that mountain trying to get the words out so we can go do karaoke for real. <laughs> yep. That's awesome. Do do uh, Madison, you mm -hmm. know, um, any of you guys really, do you have um, people in real life that have gone through uh, addiction and rehab that like, like were there situations you could, cause this all felt very authentic. I, I had a family member that, that sadly is not around anymore but we got them through the, the rehab process and um, this just felt very real. And that, that's, you know, watching it, it, I never questioned that Joey could just be 100% right. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? That, that, mm -hmm. that, um, you know, Leo, there could be, could be right. That this is just my sister going through her bullshit again. Um, and that it, it's hard to make a movie that has the end you have without having something about it be a tell for that. I like the cool mm -hmm. splitting of the eye thing. You know, and that that's that's really cool. Um, you know, thinking I gotta we'll go back and watch it again, but it's all really subtle, right? It's kind of like like sh the sixth sense. Like when you go back and watch it, the movie was beating you over the head with what was going on the whole time, and you just couldn't pick up on it because the narrative was so good outside of that. And um, you know, do you guys have anything personal that went to that, or was it just you know good research or good script or good acting? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me. Um, it was, it was really, really important that, uh, the drug addiction did feel authentic. So that means a lot to me that, that you really felt it. Um, for me, I, I haven't had any friends or family go through rehab, but I have, um, uh, there are some people in my family that have struggled with, um, alcohol addiction, but in a very, like, uh, they can hide it really well kind of a deal. Um, that was was mine yeah <laughs> mm -hmm. um so for me growing up I always struggled with I was really afraid of becoming an addict even though I thank god don't have an addictive personality but I always felt like like that if I had just been a little different or taken a little bit of a different turn that I would have ended up like Virginia so I feel like Virginia and I are just like doppelgangers or foils of each other multiverse um, yeah, exactly. So um, I wouldn't say it was easy for me <laughs> to step into that at all. But it's something that that fear of addiction is something I've lived with for like since I was little. Um, so, yeah. And uh, and on the flip side of that, I've, 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 I've not close family members or anything, but I've, I've definitely dealt with uh, a couple of addicts in my time. And there's there's a sort of a not a callousness, but like a, a, a hardened aspect that you get from dealing with a person where at some point you just, you've gone through it so many times that you, you kind of lose belief or you lose and it's, it's sad and it hurts every time. But you know, uh, so I'm, I'm glad that that came through that the, um, the aspects of dealing with someone and, and, you know, you, you're justified in your, in seeing someone dealing with a family member addict like that. Cause you're like, well, they've probably gone through this more than once. It, it hurts.
Yeah, it, it completely obliterates the normal horror cliche of, I don't believe that this character would go along with this for so long. But in this movie, it's, no, I 100% believe it because mm. I've been in that guy's shoes. I've, mm. I've, it's Boy You Cried Wolf. Yeah, yeah, like the last 20 times you said mm -hmm. you were going to. Um, I also, was, was it, you know, because you said this was, the original idea was people take a drug at a club and get tied to people and it moves into the addiction story i like the idea that this group seems to prey on people in rehab like prey on people trying mm -hmm. to get that um <laughs> um but uh um you know i i love that idea and you know moving it to that was that an intentional like we want it to be this kind of story because i i love the idea of virginia not being a person who came from like like a bad place and you know mm -hmm was was you know because you get addicts in movies always you know it's usually unless they're trying to tell a dramatic story are usually played like pieces of crap like it's your best yeah. friend that's never good or came from a bad household and there's definitely backgrounds with the family with that but she had a college degree and was going to be a lawyer and like all this stuff and then still fell into it and i i like how honest the movie is that you can have everything going for you but anyone like like madison mm -hmm. was just saying anyone could fall prey to that and I know that, you know, at the end of the day, you made a horror movie, but this is, this is a hard, you know, this is drama. This is, mm -hmm. this worked really well. So was that an intentional addition? Yeah, absolutely. I think it, I mean, I always prefer to tell when you're talking about flawed characters and, uh, uh, dramatic stories like this, I think it's always way more interesting if they're, they've sort of fallen prey, uh, to, I mean, it's it's very societal that there are a lot of people out there taking advantage of a lot of other people. Um, the most vulnerable people in the world are always the people who uh, like get taken the most money away from them. They get taken the most. Uh, they're they're hit hardest by. I'm not saying this well at all. Yes, it was intentional. <laughs> uh, it's important that she was. Uh, vulnerable to something more nefarious and also that that uh even though in this movie it's a cult uh a satanic cult in the real world there are actual yeah. organizations and uh you know fake activists yeah. and predators out there taking advantage of uh addicts yeah, I feel like in any sort of storytelling, we always find you have to use shortcuts. You have to use stereotypes here and there in order to get things across. And we chose really well to not make the family relationship stereotypical, not to make it just like, a, oh, they, they've always been a junkie, blah, 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 blah. Like, no, we made it as as kind of difficult and as as um family drama reality as we could and then had the mysterious cult be our shortcut to to or our, our stand-in for what patrick's talking about for people that take advantage of other people patrick, um, term, uh, sorry, patrick using the term flawed character i think is important because often what you were saying uh chris is like when you're writing dark movies you can end you can kind of end up being like very one note with it and like the important thing i think usually is that this resonates often real life too that flawed characters aren't their flaw you know like if one person is there, like, if that's all you have to identify with, that's, like, not enough to go off of. Um, mm -hmm. that no, absolutely. Yeah. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I, was gonna and, and I, think, I think it's very important that, the, the you know, 
even though the movie ends its arc, like we said, with the two characters kind of, you know, the, the things that um that Leo needs to get out of this situation, he gets out of like it it doesn't end with, oh now and now your marriage is gonna be fixed. But there's a there's a softening of it. There's a mm-hmm. there's a re relooking at his life and where he's been at that point and the fact that he hasn't been able to be open to the people around him as much because of this whole situation, I'm sure. And, you know, Virginia, you know, learns a lot too in but I love that we get the reveal with knowing that the cult is a real thing that she had fully fixed herself. Like the rehab worked this time and it was some other nefarious thing that stopped her in her tracks. And it's not what you think. And that extra added bit, it, it's just so wonderfully layered. You know what I mean? It, cause, cause again, you could just go into the movie wanting to, you know, I want that big stinger with the, the end and you get that, you know, I've been talking to you guys um, offline and other people with the movie with, you know, okay, they hit the guy that turns out to be the guy that she was tied to. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, now the connection is broken or is she dead or is she this? But then it was a reveal. It took thinking through the movie, but no, no, no. Now she's tied to her brother. And it's such a subtle thing, but it's so cool and so important that like this probably isn't the end of all of this BS, you know, this one moment. But now she's tied to someone that actually cares about her well-being. And so mm. they can help people through each other through together. Uh, and, I, and I think that's really freaking cool. And, um, you know, not something that you see a lot of uh, um, even high, high uh, budget horror movies pull off. Mm-hmm. You know, let, let alone one shot in 12 days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, for Leo, it's absolutely a rebirth. And for Virginia it was important to us that yes, she did as much as she could correctly and it still wasn't enough. And it, in, in terms of showing uh, Virginia's path throughout this movie, it was important uh, to emphasize like you can't do everything alone. Right. And, and she did reach out and she did do this. And uh, the frustrating, I think we, everybody knows the frustrating process of uh, not being believed no matter what. And I think that's something obviously I'm sure a lot of uh, women go through uh, and I'm sure a lot of addicts go through. Um, and thankfully this turned out all right. <laughs> yeah. Th- th- thankfully. Exactly. And you know, back to, back to the way you filmed it. Cause I, I, I dabble in, you know, cinematography and um, you know, my, my last big foray into the tech behind it, was right before digital um, digital video cameras came out. So right before, um, I don't even know what they were called. I had a VX2100 Sony camera, the best VHSC camera that wasn't made by um, the, the, the other, there was that other really great brand. My brain's shutting off right now with cameras, but that was, you know, 20-ish years ago, I got mm. this camera. And I shot some beautiful stuff with it. And then they came out with the better stuff. But, you know, did you guys dabble in cell phone filming before this, like as, as, as cinematography, or was this like a first foray, even for those of you who are tech savvy in it? Um, I have on occasion needed to, I, I, on one music video once, I picked up like a shot to cut in with like the rest of the footage and like luckily it was very dark and it worked, 
But oftentimes, I get asked to use iPhones as like security camera angles on stuff. You know, like people are like, it doesn't look good enough to be like the main camera, so I'll just tape it to a wall. It'll be like a security camera shot. <laughs> um, I have also used the iPhone flashlight to light certain things that I couldn't like put real lights for. Like um, on on Greenlight, the movie that Patrick mm-hmm. wrote, like there's a scene where a dude has to hide under a desk. And like the desk was a full wooden, like four walls. There was no way to put anything under that. And he's lying under there like terrified. So I just gaff taped the phone to the top of the desk. Like I've done that. But we, what was the light that we used on this? We had that one like tungsten like thing that was one light. We had one light that we used on so many shots. It's a it was a two, it was a not even it was a twelve inch uh LED tube and it could go either daylight or tungsten and it was like battery powered so we'd charge it overnight and I would like it is we have some we have some pictures we can send you to but it's very that funny that to the ceiling of the car yep. so often and every now and then it would start coming undone and be oh, like oh yeah oh no <laughs> this, is, this is where I stop and remind people that some of the people sitting in this room have worked with David Fincher so so once once an artist always an artist is what i'm saying you know what i mean it's never it's never the shot that went perfect that you had you know spent 20 million dollars on the gear that you remember you know what i mean it's always the we had to tie the camera to a remote control car and send it down a thing and then it got covered in water so then we did this i we lost in the middle of the zombie movie we had to buy a whole new vhsc camera because we splashed blood all over it and no. the camera and all the stuff we had recorded that day and oh. the shots still in the movie i was actually able to salvage the footage nice. so there's there's a leg hits the screen it fills up and there's a, a making of where I cut out myself after I was like, you fuckers just broke the camera. I almost um, ran over the camera at one. Yeah, point. that was stressful. But yeah. The, the director oh. told me to, so, you know, yes, we, uh, we had, a uh, we had that one. Sh- oh, oh, lol. oh God. We, um, it's- yeah, <laughs> it's in the first montage when the car drives over the camera and like, it was just Patrick's iPhone propped up on a rock. <laughs> <laughs> And we were like, Joey's driving from like a quarter mile away and has to just not like have to guess where the phone is to not run over it. uh... (laughs) That's so cool. And there's there's, there's something you can't do with an Ari Alexa. (laughs) (laughs) So so that's that's the thing I love about this, right, is, you know, you're you're not going to talk to. Even even though they come up with amazing stuff too, but you're not going to get like a Steven Spielberg on this show. Even though if you're listening, please come mm. on my show. But mm. you're yeah. not, and and talk about putting a cell phone on a rock. At least probably not. But um, this is the stuff that always amazes me. Like I remember watching um the Tintin behind the scenes stuff and how they did that whole movie with motion capture. But since they had a director who had never worked with it before, they built him a camera. With they would show a daily of like a quick like outline that he could walk through the motion capture set and see the actors and then they'd go whatever you do with the camera and the computer follow the track he went on because he's a visual director follow his track and he'd grab this thing and walk through and to me it's that using old fashioned ideas with new technology and so the idea to shoot on a cell phone camera again is super cool but I, I've said this to the people and the other things watching all these horror fest movies you know. And, and having done low-budget filmmaking myself, back in the VHS days, it was really easy to tell an indie movie from a big movie because it was shot on tape. That was like, the, you could immediately tell unless, you know, someone was trying to be clever and shoot something on tape for fun. 
it usually meant the movie was cheaper. But since we have access to all this amazing digital stuff, I can make a better looking movie in my cell phone than I could have ever made 15 years ago. Mm. But it still takes someone that knows how to compose a shot. Doesn't matter how good the technology is. So um, I would assume majority of you guys, I don't think I brought this part up, went to film school, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. so is there a stigma? Like, because I, I remember um, I went to school with a lot of kids that were in music. And, you know, they would definitely try to suppress that more guerrilla approach, like indie rock, you know, messing around, not wearing your guitar the right way. You know, so is there like a scoffing in film school now of like, cell phone video and cell phone film or is it more like acceptable like if you had shown your professor threshold would they go oh you shot it on a camera <laughs> yeah, I, don't uh, I don't know about current students or current professors uh, I, I feel like it's i mean and, and certainly people like uh sean baker and steven soderbergh have helped the uh prestige of what can be done with a camera and reed murano shot multiple music videos on an iphone and um and to any i mean peers or whatever that i I would have that attitude i mean we could just say like we have a movie and you don't (laughs) (laughs) that's exactly what i wanted to hear (laughs) you find it's kind of weird you get both sides like we've got a couple youtube comments on like some of the trailers where like someone saw that it shot an iphone they're like oh shot on an iphone definitely not giving this a watch and then you get like (laughs) and then you get the opposite and we're like i have people like there's, like cinematographers that I, you know, I know and are, are good friends of mine who have been like dying to see this movie because they're like, how did you make a movie on an iPhone? Because like we're all, you know, when you get into like commercial and, 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 and that kind of world where like you just get used to the best of the best gear, like for anyone to be like, yeah, I willingly shot on an iPhone is sort of like a very weird statement. But, to but, yeah, I'll tell you what they're missing about- out on. The turnaround between shots was yeah, so yeah. sweet. Yeah. Just yeah. spawn a new lens and we're oh, good gosh. to go. Yeah. <laughs> and talking about the look of it, the film and it feeling like a normal movie, uh, I think it was very, yeah. we realized very quickly that we didn't want to make an iPhone movie. We wanted to make a movie with an iPhone. Uh, both, uh, I mean, like originally when we were talking about this movie, we had like, oh, we, we were planning all these shots. We're going to stick the camera on the, on the steering wheel while they talk mm-hmm. and we're going to do all these really weird mm-hmm. angles. Um, and it, it came down to very quickly, one, we didn't have the time for that. And two, <laughs> the naturalness of the performances and the, just the general tone of the movie was much better served by uh, something that I, I don't think our movie is boring, but it's a bit more standard. I mean, you, when you watch uh, something like uh, Unsane or High Flying Birds, Steven Soderbergh's movies, uh, it's very clear the entire time that you're watching an iphone movie you know they're posted at these weird angles and it's uh it's very shallow and it's very sharp and it's uh you can tell they wanted to like they i mean they were making an iphone movie and we were taking the tools we had to make the best movie that served these two characters. And that being said, Unsane is the reason that I texted Patrick after watching it and be like, we can totally do an iPhone movie. We can <laughs> fucking do There's this. a proof of concept. But there is, there is, like, you have to understand, I think the, the important thing understanding going into is that like a lot of people get that statement and I hate the statement. Anyone can make a movie. You have a phone in your pocket. It's like, oh first, my like, God. Like, uh, shit. Uh, it's so true. Much. It is true. I just don't like the, you have to understand that when you do it, like 
the image coming from a phone is not like the image coming from a cinema camera. Like, it is very in the moment. It is very, like, docu. It is very much, like, in your face. This is real life. No matter what nice film grade you put on it, no matter how much grain you throw on it later, like, if you don't, like, putting your fucking phone on a dolly, because you're like, well, I'm going to make a movie with phones, and you start shooting, like, dolly shots on your phone, and you're, like, thinking it's going to be a cinema camera, but it's not, like, you have to understand why that doesn't work conceptually. Mm -hmm. Like, people are used to phones being used to capture real things. So, like, you just have to go into shooting it with that mentality. Like, the angles have to match what people's brains interpret phone footage to look like, which is just someone reaching into their pocket and like videoing an Instagram story and putting it away. And you have to sort of adapt that thought into real cinematic angles. It's a very weird compromise down the middle. Right. No, that's, it's really important. There's very few films made with any type of camera that want the, even, you know, and I'm not, I'm not talking about found footage because found footage is a completely different thing, but we accept the angles of film because we know there's a camera there. Yeah, like mm-hmm. right, they, mm-hmm. like for instance, like a movie like nineteen seventeen wants you to think that's not a camera. They want you to think that it's, it's like a an cow- omniscient yeah. thing, <laughs> yeah. and that's and that's fine. And they they basically pull that off, even though the movie looks kind of cold and clinical because of that. But I still love it from a from a gimmick standpoint. They did a really good job. But it's really important that you make that point. If you had filmed this movie like a wide angle IMAX lens, you know, mm. huge camera crane shot angle <laughs> type of big spectacle. But with it, would have, it, would, you know, it would have been a blast. I would have signed yeah. up. But you know, it would have completely taken you out of the movie because your eyes are not trained to see it that way. It's why the 48 frame per second thing that Peter Jackson did for The Hobbit is a really cool technical achievement. But you watch the movie in that and you go, I know that I'm watching something fake now because it doesn't look like a movie anymore. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And because and you expect... It, it's, it's, it's a point I've made in other shows talking to people. It's an expectation of consistency. You guys, y- you know how to compose a shot. You know what you want your shots to look like and you know what you want your movie to look like. And by doing that, yeah, I don't watch it and go, this was a movie filmed on an iPhone because you worked within the limitation of what a movie filmed on an iPhone could be having that big, you know, sky turning red demons showing up thing would have completely taken you out of the movie because it wouldn't have been consistent with what you were putting on screen. Um, I was talking to someone about how this is why a film like the grudge doesn't work so well for me anymore. And a Which film one? like the, um, either the original or the remake, even though I love them both, they have inconsistent rules and effects work mm. for the villains. So in one scene, you've got this really cool practical effect girl creepy walking around. And then the next, it's almost like hand-drawn 2D animation on a black background because they didn't have the budget. And you go, <laughs> I, this doesn't make any sense. And I know that's what J-Horror's thing was, was the rules get broken and they don't fall. But a movie like The Ring works so much better because they were consistent with how they mm. filmed framed when the creature was there and how it got to people um and it's the same thing right like your your movie is a very um consistently filmed and shot movie and that's i think people forget that's a hard thing to pull off like i could film 10 shots right now in my front yard with my phone not do any post-processing to them and it could look like a completely different person different camera film that just by the way the light hits it you know 
knowing how to compose consistent shots is hard. <laughs> and right. then it was made easier because, I mean, no matter how basic or simple our shots were, our two actors were the most consistent part of the process. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to compliment Powell there. And it was yeah. there is, no, here's the thing. There is a lot that happens when you put, like, you'd think it would be the opposite. you think it's, like, lower res. It doesn't matter as much. But, like, the iPhones put the acting in a spotlight, like a bare naked spotlight, because basically, again, it's the same thing I was saying, like, you, in your brain interprets phone footage as some dude filming a real life event. And so, yes. like, if the acting isn't literally perfect, people will pick up on it, because mm. it, they, it's a phone. It looks like it'll, it'll go quickly from a, a film to an audition tape. And, like, that's a very big mm. thing that you have to struggle with shooting on an iPhone, is, like, a lot of people are used to watching audition tapes on phones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you have to really nail the performance to not notice the phone aspect of it again, too. So kudos to you guys, because oh, I uh, think you. that's what character Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, that's awesome. Now, um, I, I am so honored and psyched that you guys came to do this. I, I need to end this soon, only because, you know, I got a lot going on. I'm sure you do, too. But I wanted to say uh, one other thing about the making of the movie, because I don't think we said this. Was, was it always intended to be in the horror-esque genre? Or was that like, okay, good. Just check. Because some people go, no, I didn't want to make a horror movie at all. And that kind of fell out in the wash. And it's like, oh, sweet. No, you fucking uh, love it. I mean, we know it's, we know it's a, a drama first, yeah. uh, mostly. But we're, we're not denying that this is horror. Yeah. I remember the conversations we had in the middle of it where we kind of talked about, like, where, where is our genre exactly? <laughs> like, we were like, this is... And, and we definitely ended up... Uh, uh, we're in the indie horror vein, no matter what. Now we aimed to be there the whole time. I think. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a huge fan of just blowing up genre. I mean, you look at the stuff. Uh, I mean, one of our inspirations for being able to do this were like Benson and Moorhead's uh, Resolution in Spring. Yep. Oh, oh, and, I mean, oh, oh, you oh, coherence snap snap. Yeah. I, love them. I mean, what you can do with just limited people and limited oh, locations. My God, you. For those listening that have not seen those movies they just mentioned, that should be a prerequisite to listen to my show. I mean, this would actually make, Resolution would be a good double feature. I mean, they both... Uh, oh, that'd be awesome. That'd be both super deal cool. with addiction. Oh, my God, yeah. I'm so happy you mentioned those, because, that, that, I mean, God, two, three years ago, I, I think, was spring, was spring 2016? 15. Yeah, so that was in this same circuit. That movie blew up through the, the same type, and it's like, I'm, I just think, back, like, I watched Spring last year, and mm. I'm watching it going, this cost what? This has creature effects in it. They're good. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? It's just, it, it, it blows me away. Um, no, guys, I am, this was an absolute joy. Um, the, I'm trying not to geek out under the fact that, you know, again, I'm, I'm a nobody as far as I'm concerned, but I'm happy that you're willing to talk to me and people will hear this. Thankfully people love my show, which is good. Thank you all. But, um, you know, I am, you know, talking to people who have done way more than, than I've ever done. So I'm, I'm really happy that you can jump around and do the big budget stuff and also get together and make a movie like this with the same heart and the same care and just fun it seems to and and i love that no one likes to like um no one ever goes yeah production's fun because production sucks it's having a, <laughs> it's having a product that's together no, it's, the experience it's fun to we, talk about yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when you it's don't i mean I, I i build i build custom stuff 
you know, custom electronic stuff. That's what I do for, so there's no way to see the end. And we have the same like squished in schedules to do mm. crazy things. Mm. And when you're in the middle of it, you hate it. But looking back on it, you kind of go, actually, I, I did that. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and, and we didn't kill each other by the end. That's even better. Um, <laughs> I'm really glad none of us died by this much. <laughs> I wanted to give you, you all a chance, you know, like I said, this is your show as much as it is mine. So all a chance to mention something that I missed or, um, you know, just say something, shout out to something, pitch something, you know, tell us where we can find the movie, you know, what, whatever else. And you can go one by one like we did at the beginning if you want, but um, just have at it. And thank you. Uh, I'll start with the big shout out to our editor and our composer because our mm-hmm. editor took hours and hours of improv footage that was unorganized and there was no script and put it into a beautiful coherent linear fashion that we uh exceeded the things we did to that man i feel yeah. so bad but i'm so I thankful mean, a big shout out to my uh, my dad who's our dialogue editor because he took audio from uh, the iphone a zoom recorder a boom and a love and had and that sometimes cut between angles on them, like well, iPhone audio on Maddie, love audio on Joey, and made the entire movie sound seamless. Uh, as far mm-hmm. as yeah, I'm seeing your face right now. Trust me, that was his face when we handed <laughs> him the sound. Um, oh God! Yeah. Uh, <laughs> our, our sound designer too, Charlie. Who uh, man? Yeah, the whole post post sound. Okay, now that's yeah. the entire crew. Yeah, yeah. Entire, our post sound crew was really, really good. Um, yeah. And yeah, took a lot of mishmashed footage and, and formats and made it all work. Um, yeah. That's cool, cool man. <laughs> and uh, Nick, Nick Chuba for the amazing score. Yeah. That score. Yeah, that's uh, I, I remember I, I saw. The, the first cut of the film I saw with the repla- with just like kind of stand and stuff, I was like, this is neat. And then I saw the cut of the film with his score and I went, oh, wow, yeah. okay. This Same. has a soul to it. It has a, oh, it's, I just, I fell in love with it. I, it I loved perfectly it. perfectly matches the movie. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and elevates all these, uh, all the stuff that is, goes unsaid on screen, I think. Mm-hmm, he, mm-hmm. he was very clued into the emotion that was behind everything, so. Yeah, instead of like in in unnamed Christopher Nolan films where you have to have a robot go into a black hole to explain everything that's going on. (laughs) 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 Sorry. (laughs) Patrick, Joey? Yeah, I mean, in the spirit of, you know, indie and making things, I don't want anything we say to... I mean, we, we partly made this movie to encourage more people to make, you know... Uh, rinky-dink movies, and I don't want anything we say to discourage anyone from making them. Uh, I, I just want to say that, like, uh, if, you, if you want to get into movies, uh, the only reason we were to make something like this so cheaply is because we've been making shit for six years, or yes. longer, longer than that, longer than a decade. Uh, uh, what so, is time? What is time yeah. anymore? <laughs> I, I just want to say, like, let yourself suck you know, make sh- shitty stuff until it's not shitty and be prepared for a really inconsistent uh, work timeline. I mean, I, Pal and I's first movie came out in 2015. It pre- premiered at Universal City Walk. Within a year, I was serving popcorn there. You know, yeah. it, this is not a straight line industry. Um, but if you love it, you know, you'll just keep on doing it. And that's what we did. Love it. Mm-hmm. 
I think they've all said everything yeah, that I would yeah, need to say here. I'm and I, I, I'm done <laughs> improvising. I only want scripts from now on. So yeah, I am solid. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the last time they ever worked together. No, I'm, I'm <laughs> I would work with any of these people in a heartbeat. I love I, I loved this process so much. Oh, I, I, I want to make something with you guys, and I have no credentials. So just find <laughs> no uh so where where can people find Threshold either right now or upcoming? Um, because this will be out in a day or so. I mean, you guys are gonna get a chance to review it, but other than that. Uh, well, October 24th, 25th, uh, this, this whole coming week, uh, the movie will be uh, playing uh, in Dallas through the Press Play Film Festival, and they also have an online component. component. And then in a week and a half after that, the first week of November, it'll be playing Soho Film Fest, which is uh, a London festival. I need to talk to them to see if it's geolocked. Uh, so I can't, I don't know if uh, American audiences have access to that or not. Uh, but if in the UK, you can watch it, great. It will have uh, British subtitles, though. So that yeah. uh, Other than that, we're still... Whoa, whoa. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, other than that, we're still looking for distribution. Uh, and if, you know, if you're an inspiring filmmaker and you really love this shit and if you want to watch it, like, just fucking DM me and I'll Vimeo you, whatever. We'll, we'll send you something. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, guys, you know, take them up on that. This movie is great. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I I, wish and hope to be able to watch this in the theater someday. I know, that's you true. know, Breach. I, yeah, yeah. I, I know, I know that that's looking less and less like a reality as of late um, because of the world and how selfish and awful people are. But um, <laughs> I, I would, I would love to see this and in a movie theater. Uh, you know, I would have loved to have seen all of these movies in a movie theater. Mm-hmm. So uh, when this is available to purchase in any way, shape, or form, let me know. I want to buy this. I want to support you guys. And I want um, to be able to get the link out to people so they can see it too. So yeah, I do want to give Thank a shout out to, to Salem Horror Fest. Uh, I think earlier this year I watched uh, uh, Feeders. Yeah. yeah. You know, a super like $100 famous movie that I made a shit ton of money at Blockbuster. And I was like, what, where's the festival and where's the streaming channel that's going to champion like homegrown indie backyard movies? And Salem really proved that they... Yeah. They're the voice for that right now. They, they're rocking it. And, and, and it took, it took <clears throat> a lot of adversarial nasty people that, you know, don't like a horror festival that's, you know, trying to champion things like that and stand up for what's right in the world. And then this pandemic to really turn them into what they've become because mm-hmm. they were already doing great things in the city in a city that strangely doesn't really like the horror aspect of everything, <laughs> even, even though it brings them all of their money for the year. Um, you know, this is the same city that just decided to close the next two weekends yesterday, even though they have some of the highest cases in the state because of everybody that comes there. Anyway, n- not, not for nothing, but these guys with, at Horror Fest and, and Kay Lynch and, and everyone else there, um, are just great. And if you if you didn't catch Mass Hysteria, find a way because that's just starting to come out now. He he uh, they sorry um, associate produced it. And unlike films like Hocus Pocus and Hubie Halloween, which I love both of them, <laughs> all of Mass Hysteria is filmed in Salem. Oh, cool! <laughs> so it's really cool. It's you know right everything you could see in Halloween on Salem, this movie captures. And that's I thought awesome. that was really was really cool about it. So guys, it, it has been an honor. Um, I can't wait for you to hear this. I can't wait for everyone to hear it. I can't wait to see more from you. 
please, please stay in touch. And if any of you ever have anything you want to talk about, or if you just want to bitch about horror movies with somebody, <laughs> I, I'd be happy oh, to have any, Yeah, I'd be happy to have any of you back on. And since no one's going to be seeing the video, I just wanted to let everybody know that I'm looking at an amazing Dick Tracy clock throughout this <laughs> entire. <laughs> <laughs> So thank you guys. Um, thank you all for being here. Thank you for shooting the shit with Chippa. Thank you all for listening and we'll talk to you soon. Bye guys.